Hi everybody, welcome back. Today, I've only talked about the events that have happened to us in the actual Emerald Triangle. But sometimes we had to go outside of the triangle because of big swinging dicks like Slick Tony, who was a New York City broker. Back in 2014, Tony rolled up into Magic's neighborhood late in the summer to Bell Springs Road and then on over to Magic's brother's farm on Island Mountain nearby. This big spender was throwing down 1500 bucks for each pound of weed wholesale that he could get the farmers to spare him. You have to understand that at the time, the going wholesale price was only about $800 a pound. Tony was paying almost double the going price as far as Utah growers were concerned. Word spread like wildfire. It was raining cash down on the mountain. Farmers in Humboldt County thought they'd died and gone to heaven. No one had ever been willing to pay almost double the going price. Prices for other brokers instantly rose by at least $500 a pound, which in turn caused severe product shortages in Salt Lake quite early in the year because of Tony's insatiable appetite. Trey and Zach were pretty discouraged about this new development. When farmers' prices increase, that means prices for the rest of those in the food chain, the buyers, the brokers, the distributors, hoppers, and end users themselves, skyrocket too. Imagine a sudden 50% increase in the cost of oil and its effect on refiners, truckers, and ultimately gasoline. That's what was happening in the Utah Weed Territory. Now, outdoor weed was almost the same price as indoor. Thanks to city slicker Tony, it was nearly impossible for Trey to find product. Suddenly, farmers up on Bell Springs Road and Island Mountain got a big idea. Grow a lot, like a thousand plants per farm lot, <laughs> way over California regulations. Magic's big brother decided to jump on the bandwagon too. Think about it. Just one season of a thousand plants selling at $1,500 a pound would gross well over a million dollars. They could sell the city slicker their product for one season and retire. We're going to be millionaires. Never have to come back to the back-breaking work of pot farming again. That was the plan on the mountain. But... Plans of mice and men and millionaires often go awry. <laughs> when plans go awry, they tend to go awry in the biggest of ways. Early spring of 2015, the feds got word of the big planning scheme in Magic's neighborhood. DEA came crawling all over northern Bell Springs Road and Island Mountain less than a month after farmers had put their thousands of seedlings into the ground. The second week in June, federal law enforcement agencies booked up every single hotel room at the Best Western in Garberville and all the rest of the town. That first Monday morning of the siege, a DEA agent cut on the radio and told the locals, We're not leaving without slashing down 200,000 plants. Buckle down, hippies, we're coming for you. Yeah, you. 
And come they did. Warrants, black paint on their faces, dressed in camouflage, machine guns, lighter fuel machetes, blazing helicopters, black SUVs, the whole ball of wax. It was raining cops from the sky. Cops were crawling all over the ground like an army of fire ants. They stayed over a week up on the mountain, burning plants and searching farms. Of course, by then, all the workers and farmers had hightailed it out and would not be there in person to witness the destruction of their field of dreams. But there was one farmer on Island Mountain who escaped the brouhaha and destruction of his crops, Magic's big brother. That's because there were no crops on his farm to destroy. That spring of 2015, Magic's brother was cash poor at planting time and couldn't afford to buy the starter plants for his farm or pay for workers to come help, let alone grow a thousand plants. <laughs> Serendipitously, he didn't have his plants in the ground early like all the other ambitious, hard-working farmers up on Island Mountain. Those farmers who had planned to profit from Tony the city slicker from the Big Apple. A week before the feds camped out in Garberville, Magic's big brother came to talk to Tiny asking for a loan. Tiny agreed to lend him the money to get his farm started late that spring, really late spring, after the DEA raid. <laughs> Here, most of Northern Bell Springs and Island Mountain farmers were under siege from the man, but Magic and his brother hadn't even put their crop in the ground yet. After the feds came and burned it all down, the two Mormon brothers planted and harvested a fine crop that year. <laughs> Bob, Bob shook his head wryly and said, Sometimes it just doesn't pay to be industrious or dream big. <laughs> I'll never forget one night. We went through a blinding snowstorm. We were the last ones the authorities let slip through to Interstate 5 before they closed it right behind us. There's a reason the authorities close interstates down, Trini Lou. <laughs> we thought, ah, we got through in the nick of time. We're so smart. Oh, yeah. Be careful what you ask for. Remember what I told you about white-knuckle driving in the snow up through the Sierra Nevadas? That. Well, that particular Grant's Pass pickup was way fun. <laughs> Traveling down the two-lane county roads that meandered into Shelter Cove was one of the most scenic trips we ever drove. Located on the Pacific coast of Humboldt County, Shelter Cove is a 650-person town. It's more like a little hamlet, actually, that sits on a peninsula jutting out into the ocean. Shelter Cove is surrounded by pine forests and spectacular groves of redwoods. This pot farm that we were going to pick up at was so remote and steep, we had to hard scrabble our four-wheel drive up and over the last hump of the climb. Two big dogs bounded up to welcome Trey back. They had recognized his scent. The front door to the house was open, letting in the afternoon coastal breeze to cool the interior. Trey and we walked into the octagon yurt, the largest structure up on that little hilltop. There was a young couple who greeted us, welcoming us to their farm. Trey started to introduce us when suddenly a wild-looking big-bearded hippie entered the house. 
Johnny. Johnny was a killer hippie with dreads who had big energy and an even bigger heart. He was a warm, friendly, and gregarious guy. He filled the large yurt with his large personality. <laughs> After introductions, Hippie John asked me, Would you like to come see my poppy plants while these guys blowed up the bags? Poppy plants? Sure. He led me outside to a bright golden hillside garden. At least a full acre of poppies blazed neon yellow and orange in the early afternoon sun. Oh my gosh, it was like a patch of sunshine. I looked it over in awe and Hippie John said to me like a proud papa, You can milk the stems, gather the seeds, and make opium tea. We call it poppy tea. It'll fix what ails ya. Would you like some? What? <laughs> are, are you kidding me? Of course I wanted some. Hippie John taught me all about making opium as Bob, Trey, and the couple counted and quickly packed the bags. He even prepared poppy tea for the three of us to go, just like Starbucks, big 24-ounce plastic cups with lids and big straws. Opium macchiato. Nom, nom. <laughs> Here you go. Cream and natural sweetener, of course, included. You know, you should never use unnatural sweetener in opium tea. Those sweeteners can kill you. Artificial ingredients are so bad for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but seriously, that was the best bad tea I've ever tasted. Okay, well, actually, it was the best tea I ever experienced, too. <laughs> Since there are some people who are drivers and others who are driven, <laughs> I fell into the latter category. I nursed and enjoyed that tea for two days all the way home. <laughs> the things you see on Mulberry Street. <laughs> Another killer spectacular place we went to broker and pick up loads was further south in Mendocino County in Guadalajara, California. I'm just going to say, to get where we were going, we had to travel the beautiful windy cliffs of the Pacific Coast Highway. Need I say more? <laughs> well, I think I will. <laughs> Gualala is a place where we picked up quite a few loads. We traveled the intensely beautiful mountain cliffs jutting out from the Pacific Ocean, but Gualala was intense just in general. <laughs> One trip, just before we got into town, we were waylaid by a county sheriff on one of the mountain cliff switchbacks overlooking the ocean. Just off to the side of a turnout was a black Toyota Tundra. We were the first in the long line of cars as we waited to be released to drive on through. When all of a sudden, two blaring ambulances came roaring right up to where we were. And about that same time, there was some... EMT type of volunteer mountaineers pulling a person on a gurney up the mountain over the side of the cliff's railing. I could see a purple foot sticking out of the gurney. I was horrified. I said to Bob, that's a dead body. Right after that, the sheriff who was holding us up came over and with tears streaming down his face, motioned us to proceed. It wasn't just a little tear or so. He was actually crying as he directed traffic. That seemed pretty weird. It was deeply disconcerting, actually. 
Bob and I rode in complete silence until we arrived at the safe house. We became distracted with meeting the broker and packing, and we forgot all about the incident until we were almost done. Bob told the broker about what we'd witnessed. The broker became very quiet suddenly, and intensely he asked, What kind of truck was it? We told him, and he fell to his knees and let out a high-pitched wail. Alarmed, we rushed to him to ask him, what's the matter? And the broker was crying and talking really fast at the same time. And he told us that that was his best friend and the deputy was the man's brother. Wow. The feds were getting ready to indict his friend. They'd already seized his farm and were getting ready to bring the hammer down on him. He continued to cry and explain how suicidal his friend had been lately. Now he'd actually done it. We were horrified. We told the broker he needed to get out of there and go on and find out what was going on, and we would finish up and lock up. Now, sometimes when I see the spectacular high cliffs of Highway 1, I think of that horrible suicide. It seemed like an omen in some ways, because later the same thing happened to us, and there were times that I felt kind of suicidal. I thought a lot about that guy. This is kind of a macabre story, isn't it? Here's another story for you. Just before sunset, one cool evening, early in October, we were traveling through Lazen Forest on our way to pick up a load in Redding, California. We'd stopped for dinner in Susanville just a bit before that, and I was kind of sleepy, so I put my seat all the way back, and I had dozed off. Suddenly, I felt the car run over a rock kind of brought me out of my dozing, but I just ignored it and went back to sleep. The car ran over another rock. Bump. I said to Bob, what is that? A little too forcibly, he said, nothing, go back to sleep. Bump. Another rock. I sat up. Holy cow. I thought I was going to pee my pants right there. Actually, I think I did pee my pants. Oh my gosh. Stretched out all along the two-lane highway, there were big and little coils of diamond back rattlesnakes. Bump! We hit another one. I squealed really loud this time and slammed my hands over my eyes. Bump! I turned around and looked out the back window to see the snake coming uncoiled as it flew 10 feet up in the air. I squealed again. Bump! Bob said, shit, that was a big one. Damn, I can't, I can't avoid them. There's too many on both sides. Bump! I thought I was going to throw up. I was so scared. Bob swerved. Bump! Oh my gosh! Please, God, get me out of here. Please, I hate snakes. No, no, really, I hate snakes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I could not sleep for three days after that. I might hate snakes, but I hate running over them even worse. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh man, those poor cold-blooded creatures. They're just trying to get warm off the pavement of the late fall sunshine. Ugh! Even telling you the story gives me the creeps again. <laughs> How about we do some better stories than the last two? One of my favorite experiences was picking up a load in Yosemite Park. The boys had brokered a couple of loads from a dealer who lived just outside of the park. 
I had never been to Yosemite before, and we spent an extra day with Trey, Tiny, and the crew exploring some of the park before taking the load back to Salt Lake City. That was so fun. Who gets paid ten grand to go pick up a load of weed in Yosemite National Park? <laughs> Is this a tough job or what? <laughs> but someone's got to do it. <laughs> it felt a lot more like a vacation than work. A couple of times... We went to Grass Valley, California to pick up a load and the broker had a nice spread of food for us to enjoy before we left with the load. Whoa, that was unexpected. Totally unexpected. No one had ever done that for us before. When I think of Grass Valley, California, I think of that amazing killer hospitality. We traveled through Orville, California when the lake was almost completely dry. We whizzed by Shasta Lake we wound our way up on a ribbon of asphalt of super tall pine trees in Bend, Oregon. Those exquisitely tall, slender trees just go on and on and on. It's really an amazing, awing feeling to drive all alone out on a remote two-lane county highway of pine trees like that. Bob didn't like cutting the triangle shorter by going through Bend, Oregon because it felt so exposed. We didn't have any really legitimate excuses to be lone travelers passing through Bend. There were a lot of sheriffs and cop cars hiding behind those tall trees. We just weren't in the mood to be stopped on some bogus traffic violation so they could ask their snoopy questions. We never took that shortcut through Bend, Oregon again. On our very last trip to Gualala, we ran into a sheriff's car parked in front of the safe house. We were like, what the hell? We didn't turn into the driveway, but acted like we were going somewhere else and kept on going. We started to panic. Was this a setup? Were the cops waiting for us? What, what should we do? Should we make a run for it? Should we throw our bag of money out the door somewhere? Destroy the evidence before they nailed us? Where could we hide the money? What should we do? Where should we run? By then, we were meandering through woods of summer cabins and didn't know where we were. We were too afraid to turn around and go back past the safe house to get back to the highway. What if they had just missed seeing us? What if the cops had been in the bathroom and hadn't seen us, but if we drove by again, then they'd see us? Shit, what were we gonna do? We caught out the burner to call Trey. No answer. Then all of a sudden we came to a dead end. Bob said, well, Tootsie Pop, it was a good run and just remember I love you. We sat in terrified silence. We stopped, turned the car off and waited for them to come and get us. And waited and waited. Nothing. Not a damn thing. No sirens, no cop cars driving down the dirt roads like maniacs. Just birds chirping in the trees. Okay. We looked to the left. We looked to the right. Still nothing. We tried Trey again. Answer the damn phone, Trey. Jeez. We waited some more. Bob finally said, let's go back the way we came. And I said, well, what else can we do? He started up the engine, took a K-turn, and went back the way we came. With our tires quietly crunching on the dirt gravel road, we silently crept past the safe house again. That cop car was still 
parked in front, but there wasn't a soul to be seen. Hmm. Finally, we made it back out to the highway. No cops there either. No roadblocks. Nothing. We drove quietly through town, and then you know what? Got the hell out of Dodge City. PDQ. <laughs> Finally, Trey called us back. He said he had no idea what was going on. He said he would look into it and told us to go to the next town and wait for instructions. Just get a room there. Turns out that the dealer was getting a divorce and he was very upset about it. And his estranged wife called the cops to go check on him because he wouldn't answer his damn phone. What is it with brokers about not answering their phones? <laughs> so anyways, that place was a bust. That's kind of the way my life is. That was the last time I ever saw the town of Guadalajara, California. I'll tell you though, if you ever want to go to a spectacular vacation spot, go to St. Ors Resort, which is just a few miles out of Guadalajara. There's an onion-domed five-star restaurant that overlooks the Pacific Ocean and adorable little onion-domed cottages to stay in overnight. You can light a fire or take a jacuzzi in most of the suites. The air smells like firewood. It's heavenly. Tons of deer run around throughout the windswept property. Be prepared to fork out the bucks though. <laughs> we packed and picked up a few loads there at St. Ors Resort. St. Ors was founded by Russian settlers in the 1700s. Did you even know there was such a thing as Russian pioneers? I sure didn't. They were fur trappers up in Canada and worked their way down the Pacific coast. There are actually quite a few little spots along the coast that were founded by Russian fur trappers. I never knew that. Now I do. Now you do too. <laughs> That's all the time we have for tonight, kids. Stay out of trouble, whatever you do. Don't go tromping around on rattlesnakes, for goodness sakes. Just don't do it. That's why I'm always telling you, don't do anything I would do. Well, we'll see you all later. Bye-bye.